Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Benjamin Ensor, Director of Research and Strategy at 11FS. In today's episode, we are asking, will FedNow flop or not? The US payments industry is currently abuzz following the launch of FedNow, the new instant payment service backed by the Federal Reserve, which launched on July the 20th. In historic terms, the launch is the first big upgrade of the US central bank system since the 1970s. But some, myself included, remain a little skeptical about how much this will really put the US on the front foot compared with the rest of the world. So in this show, we put together a panel of two amazing experts to discuss. What has the rollout of FedNow been like so far? What are the challenges in its way? And what is the potential of this new top-down instant payment initiative? We'll discuss all this and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages. This is Fintech Insider After Dark. We are breaking out of the studio and bringing it to the community. It's a live recording of the Fintech Insider podcast featuring your favorite hosts and big name guests. Well, thank you very much for having me back. Join us and become a certified Fintech Insider. Whether it's beers in London or pizza in New York, catch up with Fintech geeks and make new friends across the financial services ecosystem. This is packed out, right? This is yeah. We are bringing After Dark to the village underground in london on the 20th of september click the link in the podcast description or visit 11fs.com slash after dark thank you very much for joining us everybody good night A lot of you know 11FS for our chart-topping podcasts, our events, videos, reports, and a bunch of other cool stuff that we do. But what a lot of you don't know is that this is just all our side hustle. We do so much more than that. At 11FS Ventures, we're partnering with ambitious businesses around the world to design, build, and launch truly digital financial services. We are building banks, shaping new propositions, and growing existing offerings that change the fabric of financial services. And our design, research, strategy, strategy and engineering experts are working to improve your customer's relationship with money. To find out a little bit more, check us out at 11fs.com forward slash ventures. Okay, so let's get started. As always, I'm joined by two outstanding guests who are going to shed a lot of light onto this question. First of all, it's great to be joined again by Stephanie Kirkpatrick, founder and CEO of Orem. Thank you so much for joining us, Stephanie. Can you give our listeners who haven't come across you before a quick overview of you and of Orem, please? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to have today's conversation about FedNow. Uh, quickly, I'm Stephanie Kirkpatrick, founder and CEO of Orem. My background is as a certified financial planner. So today you're probably going to hear me talk a lot about the problem time to money what it means for the American wallet, what it means for everyday American households and small businesses and large businesses alike in the U.S., and why we at Orem are ultimately um, incredibly excited about the launch of not just FedNow, but uh, broader and broader, faster payment vehicles in the U.S. in a number of different ways um, to move money faster, instantly, and differently than we did 50 years ago when ACH was born. Um, Orem is the simplest API for fast, reliable payments, you can use our single solution to access RTP, FedNow, ACH, same day ACH, wires, and more. There's a ton that we're doing um, around other types of payment vehicles as well. And we think that the most powerful thing we can do is really speed up time to money. And much like Amazon did with same day package delivery, 
use our software to optimize how it gets done and the speed at which it can get done. So excited to be here. Fantastic. And I love the Amazon analogy. So welcome. And we also have a we have a fintech insider debut for Struti Jane, senior consultant North America at Consult Hyperion. Welcome so much to the show, Struti. What should our listeners know about you and about Consult Hyperion? Thanks, Benjamin. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so as you mentioned, I work as a senior consultant. I'm based in Toronto. Um, and Custer Hyperion is a technical consulting firm. We are headquartered in, in the UK. We have a small team of experts here in North America. And we have a great track record of, you know, working in payments and identity for over 30 years now. Uh, we have history working with financial institutions, payment networks, you know, governments, processes, fintechs, merchants, retailers, you know, on their payment strategies and implementation. Um, and we also have an in-house development team who continuously drive innovation through proof of concepts. Um, and really about me, you know, I have a true passion for all things payment related and identity related. I have my own background in, you know, machine learning and AI. And one of my personal interests lies in, you know, the application of AI and data science within the financial services sector with kind of the aim to enhance customer experience and refine payment processes. And, you know, with my time here at Cast Hyperion, um, so over the years, I've had the privilege to kind of work on, you know, very interesting and innovative projects and, you know, digital identity, open banking, retail payments. And more recently, we've also started to work, you know, with several central banks on their digital, on, you know, the central bank digital currency uh, implementations and projects. So that's really about me um, and glad to be here. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for joining. Let's dive in. And I'd like to start the conversation by looking at the sort of initial stages of, of the launch, what's happened since um, July the 20th and, and people's expectations. Um, and maybe, but maybe we should start with a tiny bit of context for people who are not American who are listening to this. And I'd like both of you to come up with three words to describe payments in the United States before FedNow. So three words of your choice that describe payments in the US. Uh, Stephanie, why don't you go first? Antiquated, complicated, time-consuming. And Sruti? Uh, I'd like to say complex, evolving, and, and diverse. <laughs> All right. Um, so how much could FedNow change payments in the, in the, the States? Um, Stephanie, maybe we'll start with you because you, you sort of talked about time to money. What's, what's, the, what's the big picture here? What's the, what's the problem that FedNow is solving? Well, when you think about how the U.S. payment system is structured for those not in the U.S. and even for those listening in the U.S. who maybe have never dug in before, there's really two clearinghouses, right? There's the clearinghouse, TCH, owned by approximately the top 20 banks. And that's one version of clearing and settlement. And then there's our central bank version, which we kind of fondly call the Fed and is the team that was responsible for building this instant payment product, FedNow. And so I think these two systems, in a lot of ways, I sort of, uh, you know, analogize them back to FedEx and UPS. Um, the goal is to be able to deliver to every zip code, right? And to do that quickly and seamlessly. And when I think about the role of the largest banks and the counter role of uh, the Federal Reserve in ensuring that every financial institution, of which in the U.S. there are 15,000 different kinds of financial institutions, some big, some small, all having the ability to access a faster payment vehicle so that they can transform 
how they think about risk, speed of money movement, cost, time to money. I think there's a fundamental and important piece of the financial ecosystem that's coming from both of these systems, but in particular from what the Fed has built with FedNow, because the Fed's clearing system really was designed for and continues to super serve a smaller profile bank, right? So the majority of banks who rely on Fed services who don't join the clearinghouse and use uh, the other settlement framework are smaller banks. They're community, regional, super regional banks. They super serve the non-coastal populations in the U.S., hyper-local communities. And these banks serve a really important purpose in the U.S. And I think if you zoom out and listen to what, you know, the kind of founding father, so to speak, of FedNow have to say about the product they're building, their end game is that every American should be able to pay another American instantly. And of course, today we have Venmo in the U.S., which my European friends chuckle over. Why would you need an app to move money when you just could move money between banks? But in the U.S., we haven't had the ability, right, to move money instantly for business or personal reasons. The most recent innovation was the ATM. I can get my own money out of my bank during non-banking hours through an ATM. That was the last time that we really fundamentally changed access to and time to money. I remember ATMs. Um, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> And so if you think, wow, the, the most innovative thing that we can do right now, pre-Fed now launching, is to go to an ATM and, you know, get a few hundred, maybe today a few thousand dollars, there were a long ways off. And so that's why I think, in particular, with the smaller bank footprint and the ability for the Fed's product to super serve a different profile of bank than the TCH um, RTP system, it's really just a combined effort to cover as many banks and financial institutions as possible, and then build technology that sort of builds the middle ground, right? You need an interoperable layer. And with two different clearing models, although similar in some ways, um, but not interoperable, at least as of today, the technology layer to do orchestration and multi-rail and multi-bank routing becomes increasing, increasingly important, um, which is something at Orn that we think about and, and really focus on and specialize in every day. Sruti, I'd love to bring you bring you in. Stephanie's just given us a really good perspective of how this is relevant for the sort of financial institutions and the banks and the credit unions. What about the end customer? Is this more important for consumers or businesses or both? I mean, so what for for, for ordinary Americans or American businesses? So Fed now claims that you know, and it, it's 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 kind of based on the ISO twenty oh two two standards, um, you know, and so it it aims to support all kinds of transactions, right? Like C to B, C to G, you know, G to C, B to C, B to B. And, you know, just take any two alphabets and, you know, we can actually stick in a two in the middle because, you know, as as it, it, it really comes down to every payment as long as it's domestic. Um, I, I, I believe, you know, um, it's the, the main um, use cases with with you know um for now would would you know that that's that are kind of of interest to me would be um instant instant you know um salary payments um small businesses accessing their earnings faster um you know imagine getting paid quicker imagine you know um just just getting critical funds being made available instantly for example insurance payout um, so I think this kind of transformation will significantly transform, you know, and enhance the efficiency of both personal finances as well as business operation. And, you know, on the bank side, it will also improve the liquidity management. 
Okay, so you're saying you think it can actually make it, it could make a huge difference to millions of Americans because they'll get their money faster, because they'll get paid faster, and so on, and also presumably businesses because they'll presumably get paid by some of their um, some of their customers faster and, and, and so on. Um, do you agree with that, Stephanie? Do you have a view on sort of, is it more important to consumers or businesses or is it, does everybody win here? Well, I think at some level, everybody wins. I think if you break down the way that the ACH system, uh, NACHA, which reports, you know, annual and quarterly statistics, reports out data about uh, payment transfers, the bulk of transactions is B2B, right? The majority of money moving in the U.S. is from business to business. Um, well, there's hundreds of millions of American households. And as a financial planner, I think about those who have less having more and having better situations where in a time to money scenario, they're not left with, you know, insufficient funds in their bank account that's going to trigger fees, et cetera, just because the, you know, timing of a paycheck relative to a rent check isn't aligned. So I do think from a consumer perspective, we're going to see, you know, incredible advantages in what we already have built around wage, insurance, payouts, et cetera, but also in the innovation of what could be built. If you never had to ask the question, how fast can money move, right? If everything can move 24-7, 365 at night, on the holidays, on the weekends, and you're no longer constrained by um, returns, you're no longer constrained by some of the flaws in the ACH system, what would you build? I think it's a very powerful question. And so from a consumer perspective, I think we're at the verge of a new infrastructure layer that can allow for innovation that's never before been seen. On the B2B side, though, I do think the impact of just speeding up the supply chain, payables and receivables, mm -hmm. why are things paid on net 45 terms? Usually because the receivable side, you know, back to the point of liquidity, is a requirement to be able to pay out the payables. And so in many cases, you could change the way supply chain management, the way corporate finance is structured. And I think time to money benefits everybody. Um, both because consumer expectations have changed the way in business and in personal lives we think about everything. I can get a massage on demand in my apartment, <laughs> in my house, in New York City, and in most major cities in an hour on an app. And I can't get, you know, money from point A to point B to pay off a credit card for corporate spend to gain back my spending power faster than T plus seven. Like that, that's crazy, right? And that's why I think these are just fundamentally different categories, but both impactful. So this could be huge for the whole American economy. Um, so seriously, why aren't more banks sort of queuing up um, to, to, to join FedNow? Because the, the rollout has been a little bit slow and there's some big banks that aren't behind this yet. What, what's happening there, Sruti? What, why, why haven't all the banks said, yeah, this is great? What, what, what's, <laughs> what, what's not great? Or why are they not embracing it? Or some of them not embracing it? I think with every new initiative and network, you know, we need network effect, we need ubiquity, we need participation, and it's kind of hard to achieve that in a chicken and an egg situation. So, you know, we, we're seeing that some banks, especially the small to medium, they're taking more of, you know, a wait and see approach, uh, and they're holding off to see whether new, new use cases and consumer, consumer demand would materialize before they sign into the service. And you know, the consumer demand and the use cases will, will definitely be slow and it's going to take time, you know, um, and it's not going to materialize unless they we, we see the banks actually participating um, and, you know, being part um, in and, and participating in, you know, and, and providing functionality um, to, to, the, to, to the end user. So, so having said that, I think, it, you know, there's also a challenge with, you know, some medium to smaller banks and community banks as they don't 
have the capacity and the resources to to deliver, you know, we're talking from going from batch processing to a real-time processing. We're talking about having, you know, operation systems change from, you know, 24-7, 365 days, which is, you know, a new endeavor for, you know, all the banks. And I think, you know, there's also a cost parameter. So like one of the challenges that I keep hearing from from our clients um, when, when I speak to them is around cost concentration. Um, you know, so even though the price, uh, the transaction price for, um, you know, FedNow transaction is, is, is less than the current credit card transaction. However, the cost of implementation, um, you know, and maintenance is, is still pretty high. And so the businesses are kind of evaluating whether it's worth, you know, the, the investment that they make now. So I think there are a lot of unanswered, you know, um, questions uh, and scenarios. Uh, the banks are still working on the strategies on, you know, what could be the best option. Um, another challenge that, you know, they've raised is, you know, regarding RTP not being interoperable with, with the FedNav service. Um, now, the challenge that it brings to the banks have already been onboarded on, on you know, the, the, the clearinghouse RTP system is that they need, you know, the services to, to be interoperable. You know, we have two RTP systems in, in, in place today, and so they need, you know, to be able to choose between what's, you know, rails they want to send their transaction across. That's a really good link into our next section because we, we're going to come on to all of the challenges. You just laid out a whole a whole host of them, which is a, a really, really fantastic answer. Let's just dig into what, one of the points you, you, you made there, and maybe, Stephanie, I can bring you in on. Who's paying for Fed now? How... How is the charging? Sarishi's making this really good point about, well, it could be quite expensive. Who's paying for us? How is it? How is this being paid for? Well, it's a very interesting question because I think when you look at how the Fed operates its clearinghouse and settlement solution today, the way that a bank um, typically would make a connection into that Fed product is generally with a technology service provider, right? Um, there are banks, large ones, all the ones we would know the names of, that usually do those things in-house. But the majority of banks rely on Jack Henry, Fiserv, FIS, right, the like um, in the technology services provider arena to make said connections. So there's always been, I think there will continue to be, a layer of technology providers that, in, that are the enablers for the banks. Um, what I think is kind of intriguing right now, to Shruti's point, is that a lot of this change has to do with going from a batch-based system mm to a real-time system, and those have material differences. And you, you do hear banks and financial institutions talking a bit about, like, I'll send my file every hour, and then it'll be real-time. And it's like, no, the whole point of real-time is literally within 15 seconds, as it's requested, um, the round-trip data journey and the confirmation that this transaction has settled is possible. So we wouldn't want to wait even an hour to send a file to then use what is ultimately, truly an instant payment system. So I think we're going to see um, probably a new bevy of technology providers come into this space who probably compete with the incumbents who typically do technology services. I think they're going to do two things. One, they're going to help make connections to FedNow and do internal readiness. And two, I think they're going to find ways to abstract uh, how to connect to this new system of not batch-based payments into a core that in inside of a bank is really running on a batch-based framework. And so I think you're gonna see technology pop up in a couple of places. Who bears the cost of that is a great question. In this case, you know, it is on the bank's um, balance sheet 
to determine how and when they want to make an investment in a variety of things. This is one of them. I think if we hearken back to even just three, four years ago, pre-pandemic, how many banks had digital account opening and apps that you could download was certainly far fewer than we have today. And that, I think, is another good example of places where banks have seen um, you know, both pressure from their end users and just natural industry necessity to move to a different model. And I think we're going to continue to see that with faster payments. Sruti, do you, do you agree with that? Is, is, it, is it the technology problem and specifically this problem of switching from batch-based to real-time and trying to, you, know, having, you can't suddenly have a whole stream of real-time payments coming in if you're sitting on a sort of batch-based process. Is that the biggest challenge that you're hearing and the biggest challenge you think is out there or are there other equally big challenges? Uh, I think that is one of the main main concerns for sure. Um, you know, so and this is so with large banks, it's very different. They have you know everything in house. They have you know the capacity and the resources. They just need to find the right business case and you know um, business case in order to you know deliver the service. Now with smaller and you know medium sized banks, normally these you know um, they are service their core banking platforms are kind of provided by, you know, external third-party providers. So it, it is important for them, um, for now the service providers of these banks um, to actually, uh, you know, make these change become ready, you know, um, for, for the new rails before, you know, these banks can actually go in and implement FedNow. Um, so that's kind of the huge challenge, you know, and one of the considerations that we've also heard um, in, in, in some of the pilot discussion is, you know, getting the service providers involved, um, you know, and, and spreading and, you know, guiding them towards what is really needed, you know, and, and what should be actually done in, in order to implement um, the FedNow service. Stephanie, in, in some other countries and indeed in sort of the European Union and so on, we'd have probably just seen a mandate coming from the central bank saying, this is the new system, you must connect to it by such and such a date, three or four years in the future. Um, the Fed hasn't done that. It, it's made it sort of an optional system that, that firms can opt into. Um, is, that a, is, that a, is that a good thing? Because it gives banks time to adjust. As you say, it gives time for a sort of a new infrastructure to emerge that helps banks deal with all the complexity. Or is that just going to really limit the impact and just make this a terrible customer experience because I don't know whether I can use FedNow or not because I don't know whether you receive it because I don't know who you bank with and whether they receive it and blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> how, what do you think about the overall approach? Is this the right approach or the wrong approach? Sure, that I could say that, that, that there's a right or a wrong, but I, I think I, <laughs> what I think I could weigh in on is just simply, I, you know, I think in other countries versus the U.S., it's a very uniquely American thing not to require anything except, I suppose, paying taxes. And even that, arguably, some people disagree with. And so, you know, in our um, current model, I think in the U.S., it's hard to see a path in which there is support for a central bank push that creates a requirement, right? What I think is happening right now is that the central bank is making a, an incredibly strategic and long-term investment. It's sort of like building new bridges and tunnels and roads and infrastructure. You know, at some point, the old infrastructure does break down and you can be playing catch up or you can be ahead of that. I think by introducing a system that is materially better, one of the opportunities is to, is to take the incredible volume of money that is still paid out via check, both consumer and business, and leapfrog it not to ACH and then later to instant payments, but move it immediately onto FedNow and RTP. So I do think there are some strategic places where you could say, wow, this could get 
an incredible amount of traction for unforeseen reasons. I don't think top-down central bank mandates are going to be the way it's going to work here. Um, <laughs> although certainly that has worked in, in, in particular in Brazil most recently with PICS. There must be a PICS button in the top of the carousel in any banking or financial services application. And yes, to your point, there was like a hard timeline to comply. Um, and in a dream state, I'd love that to be true for instant payments here. But on the other hand, because it's not true, and I don't think it ever will be in the U.S., I think it's just incredible opportunity for innovation um, from an interoperability perspective. Um, I don't think uh, most people care how the package from Amazon came, right? Back to the Amazon example. FedEx, UPS, Postal Service, Amazon's Rivian-owned, you know, blue vans. Nobody cares. They care how fast it got to their front porch. And there is a return feature. Literally, it didn't arrive in time. Uh, so it like clearly indicates that in particular consumers, but businesses as well, have no preference for how something happens. And I think in many cases, you could apply that same thing to money movement. Was it an ACH, the same day ACH and RTP a Fed now? Does anyone care? I care the speed and certainty and potentially about the cost of getting that transfer done. And, and that's about it. Thank you. Sruti, we've talked about... Um... We've talked about costs. We've talked about the challenges, the technical challenges. What about the, the risk here? Are there risk challenges? For example, obviously earlier, you know, earlier this year we had you know the, the very sudden uh, sort of run on Silicon Valley Bank. We saw a couple of other banks really struggling. Could um, could instant payments like this accelerate a bank run? Um, could we see more fraud? For example, I understand in Brazil, you know, there was a little bit more sort of overnight fraud where people were trying to defraud people in the middle of the night because maybe the banks were less likely to spot it. Um, are there some risks that you, you, you've you come across or you've been talking to clients about? Um, so, yes, um, I've, you know, it's, it's, it's been news, you know, there have been several concerns regarding FedNow, you know, leading to bank loans by enabling you know, fast outflow of, of withdrawal, right? Like what happened with the Silicon Valley Bank. Um, so I think Feds, you know, have, have downplayed these concerns. Um, they've said that, you know, I think the system is designed in a way that, you know, helps ensure financial stability should a bank's trust arise. Um, and so, you know, we, we have a transaction limit that is, you know, 500K, which has been set, right, um, on, on the service. And it is kind of imposed in the wake to avoid a bank loan situation. Um, now, you know, the Fed also allows um, the participating financial institutions um, for themselves to, you know, make some configuration changes on their side. Um, so that is, you know, being able to use and set transfer limits. Banks, you know, could use the tools to kind of mitigate large outflows of, of, of deposits, right? So that could include how much money can be moved over a given period, restricting, you know, who can use the service and, you know, can determine which direction money can really flow in real time. So, you know, there have been some countermeasures that's already been, um, you know, implemented within the service uh, that's been provided by Fed. And, you know, they've also announced that they're going to enhance some of these fraud medications, um, you know, management processes um, going, going forward next year as well. Thank you. Stephanie, do you agree with Sruti on the risks? Uh, do you see other other risks in addition to those ones? I mean, with every innovation, there's risk, right? When Uber was introduced, all of a sudden, you're literally riding the back seat of a stranger's car. They're driving you to your house. <laughs> and they have your phone number and your address. So um, I don't think any innovation is risk-free. Um, I do think it's important to separate, particularly in payments, um, the difference between social engineering, which is a problem that's existed for the, since the dawn of time, it's just progressed in how people are 
receiving, you know, these social engineering scams, sweetheart romance scams, puppy scams, all that stuff was here before faster payments. And I don't think those are reasons why we shouldn't progress. Um, I think we will continue to see benefit that far exceeds um, the innovative, you know, sort of challenges of fraudsters. When Venmo became popular, and I think similarly in, in the UK and with Pix, this problem has existed, physical device takeover, somebody grabs your phone, Venmo's out the money and checks your phone. It was an absolute problem, but it wasn't a reason to stop progressing on what is ultimately now a massive solution um, for peer-to-peer payment transfers. So I don't think that instant payments um, is going to create any different types of fraud than we have already experienced in different ways. It does, like wires, have a sort of instantaneous and non-revocable component to it. And so figuring out how will we deal with fraud inquiry in the um, ACH space, we have, you know, Reg E that regulates consumers being able to raise their hand and say, that wasn't me, that's a fraudulent transaction. We don't have exactly the same framework yet for instant payments, but that will come. And regulators typically aren't in front of um, new solutions are typically, you know, lagging in how they think about what will the regulations look like. And so Today, when you, you know, call it Uber and uh, they've masked your address and they've masked your phone number and they've done a bunch of security and safety features and they offer you a button to push in case you feel unsafe in the back of the car, all of that came through innovating and understanding what were the risk vectors. And I think we're going to see with faster payments, both at now, RTP, and probably things soon to come, but yet to be fully launched, um, that we're going to have to put, you know, more energy into identity, um, fraud. And the things that go around the ecosystem of payments. I just like to add to what Stephanie just said. You know, like the the there's definitely a need to have a robust digital identity framework. You know, and that's kind of been worked upon around the globe. Um, and I think that will be a key to, you know, and will play a fundamental role in tackling the fraud head on. Um, you know, so I think right now there's there's a need to kind of identify, you know, who's on the uh, on you know the this the side of the transaction on the, you know so who's the sender and who's the recipient um i think just having this framework and you know implementation and having the two services converge you know um this will lead to greater trust um you know making the service more secure as well thank you okay well, we're just going to take a quick break and we will be back very very shortly <music> Hello and welcome, LFG people, to Fintech Insider. Watching Insider, 11FS Spotlight, 11FS Explores, Open Mic Night, After Dark. Through our podcasts, videos, newsletters, and live events, we have a direct line to a truly global fintech community. So if you're looking to sponsor and collaborate on content that connects with everybody from fintech beginners to the biggest VCs, then chat to our team at sponsors at 11fs.com or visit 11fs.com to find out more. Long live the community. Okay. So having looked at the rollout and the challenges potentially to come, let's move on to think about what happens next with, with FedNow. Um, Suruji, if everything sort of goes right from adoption to regulation to innovation, you know, what could we see happening in, in the wake of FedNow? What are some of the, the good things that, that can come out of this? Um, so if ubiquity becomes a reality, you know, I think it will unlock a multitude of supported use cases, um, you know, providing more convenience and faster ways to make payments, right? Um, and it's going to open up a whole range of use cases that we already spoken about. So, you know, wage payment, uh, insurance payout. I think the use case that's 
particularly exciting to me is that of real estate. You know, every home deal is done over is is real estate. Um, you know, everybody buys a house over the weekend, right? Um, the deal is set over a weekend, um, and you would just like to immediately close and settle deals. You know, at any time of the day. You know, whether it's it's a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, so there's there's a real real need, um, you know, um, in 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 that market. I think the third use case would be, you know, the bill payment um, for with you know request for payment. It will kind of change the format. I say, you know, I think of payment from a due date to like you know having a due time if it is done right. Um, so you know, we we're gonna see these these changes rapidly um, coming in as and when you know. I think the Fed now so is, is, you know, achieves the full potential. Stephanie, you you wrote about this on the on the Eleven FS blog, um, among other places. What, what what do you see as the goal for Fed now? Oh my gosh, I could speculate forever on the endless opportunity and upside. I think there are a couple of really important ones. I come back to wages. Where I was raised by um, an immigrant who came to the U.S. as a refugee. Um, and you know, while I had a very incredibly good childhood, there were times in which we had very little and access to the next dollar was hard to achieve. And I think about the way that people today cobble together income from five or six sources, and there's not a W-2 paycheck to be had, but there is money that's going to be coming in. And how do you help maximize speeding up access to those dollars and streamlining that they're coming in in a consistent manner? How do you take wage payment where today people tend to lean on you know, early or earned wage access? They're different take loans, get credit cards to close essentially liquidity and income gaps. And what would it look like if we didn't have to do that? And the cost of doing that were taken away from the scenario. Um, I think, you know, being able to move money into, um, you know, even small amounts of money, a place where you could invest or save and move it right back instantly when you needed it for your bills or your next payment on something. And thus it could have a chance to grow at a not 0% rate. That's, you know, what you get in your checking account just ultimately furthers financial outcomes. And as somebody who spent my entire career thinking about financial outcomes, the reason I'm so passionate about infrastructure and instant payments is because I do think it's one of the most important ingredients in what our financial services and our economic capabilities are going to look like decades from today. So does that mean FedNow is sort of an instrument of financial inclusion, that it's going to drive financial inclusion? Absolutely. In my opinion, absolutely. Do you agree, Susie? Uh, yes, so I, I, I totally believe, you know, it has potential to contribute um, and especially drawing my experience, you know, from India. So where we use cash, right? Um, and the usage of cash was very prevalent before the introduction of UPI. I think a majority of people perceived cash in the Indian market, you know, to be an instant, easy to monitor and use payment method. And with instantaneous fund transfer through FedNow, Individuals are going to have the same experience, you know, the same convenience and controls, making transactions, you know, more accessible. Um, apart from that, you know, I think it 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 all it, it will also provide a lot of value to the underserved, you know, uh, communities um, and you know people with low incomes um, that often face barriers, you know, with with the traditional banking systems, right? Um, you know, I think FedNow is, is is going to provide these individuals with, with swift and efficient payment solution uh, and kind of then reduce the reliance on, you know, expensive alternatives like, you know, for example, the payday loans uh, and cashing services. Um, so it would just, you know, in overall, I think just 
help everyone manage the finances much better. Stephanie, I love what you were saying earlier about sort of smaller community banks and so on. And you were talking about Venmo. And I always think of Venmo as something that's used by sort of younger Americans in the big cities and so on. Does FedNow create, you know, is this more relevant to sort of middle America? Is this going to make more difference to more people um, if it gets embraced? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, ubiquity of something like Venmo is still very much coastal. Um, Even Cash App, which has, you know, proclaims to have 50 million users, that's not everyone in the U.S. And um, that is also concentrated in certain kinds of communities. And so I think continuing to push the boundaries um, via local community banks where for a variety of reasons, folks don't entertain downloading an app. They entertain going into a brick and mortar location um, as their means of connecting with banking. I think is a, it's as critical for those banks to be able to send and receive, but in particular receive instant payments as it is for any digital application and, and any coastal community. And so I'm excited to, to think about how smaller banks continue to play an important role. Perhaps there won't be thousands of them in a future version of our banking system like there are today because there will be other ways to meet people where they are and brick and mortar won't be the only solution. But the sort of importance of a community bank, my parents were you know, attempting to build a small business. As I mentioned, you know, my dad was an immigrant, not a U.S. citizen, um, no uh, education behind, beyond a high school degree. And my parents had to go to a local community bank who could basically underwrite the good faith of the fact that we lived locally and, you know, owned a small home against an idea that they had to build a business, which ultimately they were able to build, but only because of um, a local community bank, right? And I think that is so much more prevalent than we give credit for um, in terms of our financial system. And I think that that engagement model and the idea that FedNow is empowering these banks to have competitive capabilities against the Chases and Wells Fargo's in the world is, is a material part, at least of what the fabric of our banking system and financial system looks like today. We've got time for about two more quick questions. So, Struti, I'm going to send the first one to you. So, you mentioned CBDCs, so central bank digital currencies, earlier. Um, there's been a fair amount written about, oh, this is going to kill central bank digital currencies. Personally, I'm not sure you can kill something that doesn't exist yet. Um, is, 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 is the Fed now, introduction of Fed now, is it even relevant to conversations about stable coins and central bank digital currencies and crypto? Or are these really different use cases, different things, and it's basically irrelevant to that? Is this big part of that story or is it totally irrelevant? What do you think? Um. Yeah, I've, I've seen several controversies on this, you know, especially with the launch of FedNow. Um, and there was one that said, you know, FedNow is a CBDC. And so, you know, first, just want to clarify that, you know, a CBDC is like a digital form of government-issued currency, whereas FedNow is like, you know, a currency infrastructure services. And, you know, they themselves totally are, are different initiatives. Now, there's a potential to re- leverage, you know, the FedNow service for CBDCs, um, you know, at this time in the United States. But at, at this time, they're not even determined, right? Uh, and as you said, something that's not available, we don't know what's really going to happen. Um, you know, I think there's still early phases, uh, you know, just exploring options and checking for potential benefits of having CBDC infrastructure. But having said that, I believe you know, in future, there could be a potential to leverage the FedNow services, um, you know, if U.S. actually determined um, to go ahead with, you know, a central bank digital currency project and implementation. Thank you. Thank you for clearing that up. And indeed, um, a central bank digital currency is a very different thing to a payment network. Um, All right, well, let's come back to that uh, question that we asked at the top of will FedNow flop or not? And I think part of that question is, are we going to see it being embraced by lots of other banks so that, to your 
point, Stephanie, you can cash in and, and, and cash out. So, Stephanie, let's come to you first. Um, do you think in two, three years, we will be looking back and saying, Fed now, who remembers that? What a flop? Or uh, is this going to be a big, a big success? My vote is on big success. And Sruti, what about you? I'm optimistic as well about FedNow's potential for success. I just rec- I, I just think, you know, it requires substantial effort to materialize as well, um, you know. And so for me, I think the key will lie in fostering a broader adoption um, among financial institutions, having, having ubiquity, you know, and enabling additional functionality, for example, you know, P2P payments or even cross, cross-border payments. And then also enhancing the current awareness and education campaigns that, you know, FedNow is currently running. So I think it has the power to act as a catalyst and, you know, definitely has the potential to create new opportunities, you know, for both for businesses, banks, you know, individual, anybody in the, you know, um, in the FedNow payment chain. And as for me, I think it has enormous potential provided that the banks uh, do indeed embrace it, provided that they can... Um, work through the technology issues of, of of their batch current batch based systems and so on, so that they can accept it. Um, because without that, it won't be a great customer experience, and it's got to be a good customer experience to get that widespread adoption um, that will really start to make a difference to American people's lives and American businesses. Okay, well, thank you both for a really brilliant debate um, and so many insights. That wraps up our discussion today. Thank you so much. Where can people find out a little bit more about you and a little bit more about your companies? Um, Stephanie? Forum.io and hello at forum.io. And Sruti? Uh, you can learn more about us by visiting our website. Um, it's chypchip.com. Um, NL, feel free to um, follow us on our LinkedIn page as well. And um, you know, also connect with me. Um, uh, just look for Shruti Jane at uh, Constriperian. And as for me, Benjamin Ensor, you can find me on LinkedIn and you can find out everything that the team has been up to at 11fs.com. So thank all of you so much for listening. Uh, If you've liked what you've heard, please uh, do follow our podcast, do uh, leave us a review, do let us know what you'd like to hear about on future editions of the show. Um, If you want to join the conversation, find us on social media, just search for 11fs or Fintech Insider or email us at podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you so much and goodbye. Goodbye.